Now, Susie, you've done a lot of exciting things and we'll try to get into as many of them as possible. But before we do that, before we get into the nitty gritty, let's just go a little bit back in time. When does your story begin? When did you find this interest? It's kind of hard to pinpoint, actually. It's one of those things that I got into and then I sort of thought I probably should have been doing this from day one, almost. Because, yeah, like I think like a lot of people who work in special effects, I always really enjoy monster movies and horror movies and things like that. But I also liked actually like really weird films like Death Becomes Her and... Uh, I guess that, well, I suppose this isn't a weird film, but things like Mrs. Doubtfire that aren't necessarily like, they're not necessarily what you go to straight away when you think of like our special effects. So I'd always loved those things and those transformations. But I actually kind of, I found my way into this industry through just a general interest in like drama and like theatre, because I used to act and I used to, well, like as a kid, that was my thing I was all about like all like all drama kids <laughs> that was that was my focus and I did I did pursue it like briefly in my late teens but then basically in my early 20s I kind of recognized that as a job it just really wasn't right for me basically like a good a really good friend of mine had pointed out that in all of the like theater productions I'd been like I'd, I'd directed a few and things like that in all of them I'd been really focused on the visuals so like the production design costume design like all of that stuff I loved doing and I loved making everything where possible so if there was a prop a weird prop that needs to be made or like a prosthetic makeup inverted commas because back in those days my techniques were <laughs> not particularly sophisticated but yeah, I would like leap at the opportunity. And she pointed out to me, she was like, you seem to really love that. Why don't you, why don't you look into that? And that was kind of, that was it really. And I just, I then sort of researched it and it was, it was a bit of a light bulb moment of like, oh yeah, this is something that people actually do for a living. It sounds like too fun almost, you know, the idea of being able to make prosthetic makeup or creature suits and transform actors into different characters and creatures it sounds kind of too too fun to be true but then yeah I kind of looked into courses and that was the start of it really that was back when I was like 22 23 something like that mm -hmm. yeah yeah wow yeah I mean that's really interesting I feel like you know a, a lot of people just suddenly find something that they hadn't really thought of as a possibility and I guess for, for a lot of people that is actually acting but then you kind of went on that different route um that's really that's really interesting was there any like particular types of special effects makeup or prosthetic like was there something that really made you go something that you were making where you're like this is so much fun this is exactly what I want to do I mean I was incredibly lucky like I think I'd been in the industry for about a year after training for three years and I was in the industry for about a year I got my first job on like a big film and that was The Force Awakens and that was definitely like oh my god <laughs> like pinch yourself I cannot believe that I'm involved with making alien suits basically is what we were doing we were doing like the fabrication as we, we call it which is like the foam and like lycra kind of muscle suits that are worn under the costumes but uh, unbeknownst to me of how amazing it was at the time but I was also involved with making BB-8. I know <laughs> that's 
Oh my god, that's such a nerd moment when I saw that. I was like, that is yeah, incredible. Was, I mean, it really. I mean, it was. It was. I mean, it was a nightmare at the time, just in terms of the, the the workload and the stress levels. Even for me, I mean, I was only a trainee, so I mean, the stress levels for me were tiny compared to the HODs, obviously. But we weren't really told what we were making because everything is so under wraps on all of those films, obviously. But we were basically told like, you absolutely cannot say anything about this to anybody. Like, blah blah blah. But we weren't. We didn't know the name you know we didn't know we just yeah we had no idea that this droid was literally like a main character in the film I mean talk about pinch yourself moments if I'd, if I'd known that at the time it would have been crazy <laughs> but um our HOD would sort of give us a little wink and just be like don't tell anyone about what you're making it's like okay <laughs> and then we saw the film and we were like aha okay <laughs> now oh we God. see why what did it feel like seeing something that you'd made on such a big screen and that also everyone else had seen oh it's amazing it really mm. was amazing like there is something so magical about it and I'm sure like I'm sure everybody feels this way but like for me it's also the credits you just that little you get that little kind of like little t- internal tap dance when you see your name on screen so it's like yeah it, it was amazing because I'd never yeah I, I don't think I'd ever seen anything that I'd made on on yeah on such a big such a big screen before and stuff I mean like I'd already made a few little bits and bobs here and there and maybe seen it on tv but I hadn't necessarily had a credit because it had been like work experiency things or stuff stuff like that or maybe it had been on theatre like I used to work for English National Opera in their prop workshop before I got some of my film job which is obviously still amazing I mean like for example one of those opera productions was directed by Terry Gilliam you know I'm a proper like Monty Python fan so I was like oh my god this is amazing yeah there's nothing like it I still I still get really excited when I see stuff on the big screen now I mean it's this that cinematic experience is amazing but if you've had a part in it and you see on screen it's yeah it's a really special feeling Mm, yeah probably also seeing something outside of the workshop and actually being in the story like it just elevates it yeah it does and there's a lot of what we do in prosthetics it's it's often a bit of a magic trick that's sort of part of what our job is sometimes because we're taking you know yeah we're trying to create an effect that doesn't exist in the real world or isn't safe to recreate in the real world so a lot of what we do I mean it always looks incredible usually when it leaves the workshop I think you're right like once it's in the set once it's or it's on an actor and then when it's properly being filmed on 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 camera when I see something on the monitor on set that's usually the most exciting kind of moment because you get that insight of like oh my god this is how it's translating on screen and we've dressed it with blood for example or whatever it is and obviously the actor's performance when it all comes together and you know the director's got just the right angle on it whatever it's lit beautifully it just takes it to another level and you're right it's like part of obviously a much bigger whole because what we do is so niche and teeny tiny really but when it's put in with all of the other elements you know costume whatever it is it's just it's really cool because it it just literally brings something that is totally inanimate in and made of rubber Mm Life, yeah you know, kind of that believability uh-huh and, and that's probably also something because it's one of those few things that isn't real that you do actually see on set you know you can actually see it in person so it's quite incredible I was actually gonna ask like because I mean looking at the work you've done from abdominal organs to immaculately realistic heads um do you ever feel a bit like a god because you're about partly I mean it's almost creepy sometimes you look at this and you're like that is a real human head, isn't it? Like, that is. Don't lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> I've never felt 
felt like a god <laughs> uh thank, thank goodness um otherwise I'd probably be a nightmare to work with but yeah no I know what you mean I, I think I think sometimes we surprise ourselves actually of how real it really does look I don't know there's something about when it goes onto camera and I don't know what that is but yeah there, there, there are definitely there are definitely kind of moments we sort of feel like the paintwork that we've done little details when you do get a chance to put in this really really teeny tiny details like little capillary veins or something it just it just elevates it from being almost more real than the real thing a little bit I mean it's kind of like hyper real sculpture that you know people may recognize from people like Ron Muick or um, Patricia Puccini and they they used to or certainly Ron Muick anyway he used to work in our industry like he worked in you know for Henson's and stuff so there's some it's almost like we take it a little bit beyond reality and it has that breath of life so yeah, I don't know it's it's I get a real kick out of imitating reality I mean it's super fun doing like zombies and aliens and all that stuff but for me like with a lot of the medical kind of stuff I've done for example it's like to take this incredible thing from nature whether it's like the human body or or something else it's like to try and replicate it like as perfectly as possible is incredibly satisfying and it's yeah it's I don't know it's weird I mean, I, it's not like a god but it almost is it's close to like surgeon mm -hmm. level I guess it is sort of like to get that up close and personal with the anatomy and the science behind what we're making is, is really cool. Yeah, and I think there's probably also something with, like, as an audience, most people haven't seen a real autopsy. So the idea we have is from movies. Like, that is that is kind of a, a weird subgenre of reality. It's like, that's how we expect it to be because we've seen it. And then obviously you've done all your research as well. What's been your proudest creation where you just went? <laughs> I've given it my all and it's come through. It's, really hard to, it's, it's actually really, really hard to pick one because I, I, I think I can honestly say this. It's, that's almost going to be true on most of the things that I've done. Although there is always a good, I don't know, maybe 20% still reserved for, ah, there's something wrong with that, there's something wrong with that. It's never perfect. And I know that literally everybody in my industry and probably all parts of filmmaking, everybody feels that way because that's just part of the creative kind of mindset and process but yeah I don't know I mean I feel like there was some stuff I did for Alien Covenant so this is back when I was freelancing for Conor O'Sullivan and he's done he's worked with Ridley Scott on tons of movies you know he just did like Prometheus as well Alien Covenant blah 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 and I was working for him as a silicon technician doing basically casting everything that we needed out in silicon which was basically all of the baby aliens and basically every single person that gets killed <laughs> needs to have a dummy body of some kind but what was really challenging and at the time I was so hard on myself because I was being such a perfectionist about it but looking back immensely proud of what I did on there because I was having to cast yeah these puppets basically for the baby alien creatures of the neomorph for example and the xenomorph and because we were going for that sort of look they were like properly see-through casting anything out of silicon is difficult because you can trap air you know in in the molds that we make and things like that and it doesn't necessarily ruin something but like it just means more repair work later down the line things like that when you're casting something that's completely see-through obviously you've got no room for error at all and um yeah, and we had to, we had these beautiful, like, polished steel armatures 
that had been made by uh, Greg McKee and uh, like a lovely Australian mech. And the whole point was to be able to see these beautiful, like you know, this kind of biomechanical look inside. So we had to like, it's really hard to describe, <laughs> especially uh, over, over audio, but we had to basically like suspend this polished steel armature inside the mold with literally millimeters of room for error. And we had to delicately kind of insert piano wire to support it through the mold, which I, I was doing with uh, Rob Trenton, who is Connor O'Sullivan's like workshop manager. And we were working together <laughs> and you basically only really have one shot. Otherwise you have to just literally rip it apart and just start again. And then you'll get silicon and all the mechanics and that has to be cleaned up, blah, 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 blah. Um, but we managed it and it looked absolutely stunning. And when I look at kind of, once it had been painted um, and all the rest of it, it just, it just looked absolutely stunning. And it's, you don't, re you don't often get opportunities to make something that's got so much attention to detail in every single element and having to pull off the challenge of having, yeah, like see-through silicon is, yeah, not easy. And if I had to repeat it now, it would still be a challenge. You know, that was like seven years ago. It would still be a challenge now. So that I'm very proud oh, of. Oh, yeah. I mean, also just like working on, on, on such a big project as Alien Covenant, I'm, I'm sure it also had kind of similar pressure as Star Wars, where it's like, there's a lot of money in this and there's a lot of people working on this. Yeah. And, and people, a lot of people care about it so much, you know, like the, the fans are so, so... They, there's there's a lot of responsibility there I think when you t when you work on something that's part of a big big franchise like both of those I don't know I think it's a shame that you didn't get to see more of them in the actual final cuts because but I mean it makes sense because they're scrambling around like I mean that they obviously they were digitally um animated and they have I guess they have to be all kind of uh, fast moving and stuff that's part of the, the fear factor in those characters but you definitely got a sense afterwards like online I remember looking up and I could see that there were like fan sites that were really really giving quite a lot of praise to how like a lot of the little creatures looked which felt yeah <laughs> felt like we'd, we'd, we'd done right by them mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. no no that's amazing I mean it's just it's just that attention to detail that's just wild Especially because I feel like most people, when it comes to aliens and stuff like that, have an idea that it's all VFX. And obviously there's a collaboration between digital and practical effects there. But um, actually, before I get onto that, what happens with these, like with the practical things you create, where do they go after production? Oh, well, they, well, they get taken, they get taken away. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, they'll always hang on to them, partly just for like storage and, you know, I guess protection of property at the end of the day, because production's kind of paid for it, it is theirs. But yeah, I mean, like usually with that kind of that partnership between us and VFX, I mean, obviously the hard work begins for them once we've finished. So they will usually like keep the models or at least will have like a good proper scan of them afterwards and stuff. Obviously, yeah, it just makes sense to hang on to them if they do yeah. need to go back and have mm -hmm. any kind of reference to build with. Plus, obviously, you know, good old pickups. Yeah, I, I, God knows where they are now. I just, I have no idea. I just walk. I just imagine like someone walking into a random room and there's just yeah. all of those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is there any like anything you've made that you wish you could have kept? Oh God, everything. Like everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, oh, I would have loved. Oh, I would have loved to have taken something from Alien. My God. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like, because all of all of the stuff we make is either one use only. So like if, in the case of prosthetic makeup, I mean, they get destroyed every single day anyway, because once it's on an actor and you derig it, it's, I mean, nobody wants to keep that, trust me. It's a slimy, slimy mess. It's disgusting. It's got actors sweat all over it. It's not pretty. Mm. So yeah. Could probably sell it on eBay. <laughs> yeah, no, <Boom>. definitely not. <laughs> um, 
but yeah I don't know like yeah I can't really think because like I said the things that I'm kind of they're usually they're usually kind of glued down it's it's rare that it's it's yeah like aliens a good example because it is these little they're they're probably little objects these puppets like you know we had obviously face huggers and like oh, the face huggers they were my they're my favorite creatures from the alien franchise so it would have been cool to have like kept a face hugger mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what's been your biggest like fangirl moment that you've gotten to work on well i mean for fear of repeating myself but to be fair, it was a genuine fangirl moment, was working on The Force Awakens because Harrison Ford was on set that day that I was on set. And I have, I mean, Harrison Ford is just one of my favorite actors of all time. I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. So I, I mean, I was like, it took my breath away, took my breath away, like being on set with him because he's, he's just, he's just amazing. <laughs> he's, uh, he's such a fantastic actor. He's got such charisma, you know, he's really fun on set you know so I, I definitely was yeah a, a part of me was like oh my god you know losing my mind uh when he came on set but then to be honest like because I'm not I wouldn't describe myself as a sort of typical fangirl kind of person like I've never really been that like I say I, I love yeah I love Indiana Jones but I there's not many other franchises or other kind of films that I'm really like a super fan of I don't have that sort of feeling and kind of when it comes to working with a lot of actors I don't I don't really get that starstruck thing in the way that some people might do and maybe to be honest maybe it's partly just kind of learnt over the years because as a makeup artist you you know like you you're so intimate with your actors that even if you feel that for a moment it goes away in minutes because that's that's your job but I, what I will say is that I guess maybe as an ex-actor the thing that I get super like blown away with when I'm on set is when I'm watching actors, like great actors do their thing. And it's so overwhelming sometimes. It's such a privilege. You know, last year I got to work with, well, I got to work with Billy Piper and um, Andrew Scott was, was on set with her as well. And the two of them were just, it was just phenomenal. That was for an, uh, an upcoming Lena Dunham movie that's not out yet called Catherine Called Birdie. And like, the two of them were just, just incredible because they and they both have a really strong background in theatre and you can really tell they're they're both phenomenal actors and that was really amazing. I was like, oh my god, you know, Andrew Scott was like shouting. I was like, oh god, <laughs> oh my god, just kind of terrifying but also like just really exciting. And yeah, like I worked with David Tennant last year and again just an incredible class act. What he was doing, like it was, I can't really say too much about it, but you know, it was set in a hospital and. It was just so moving. I, I genuinely, like, it brought me to tears watching it, like, in the crew rehearsal. I had to sort of try to be very poker-faced and professional, not actually cry. But then when I was watching the monitors, like, I actually had to excuse myself. I was I was really, really so moved by it. I was just, it was really incredible. And I mean, it's going to make me sound like a bit of a, a mental case, the fact that I, <laughs> I found it so easy to cry watching these actors. But um, similar thing happened to me on the last film I was just doing with Helen Mirren. Similar, I just, it's just incredibly moving watching these actors do their work and it's just such a privilege to get like a a front row seat to some of these moments and it's it's those like it's it's like a few seconds or a minute where I'm sort of I kind of allow myself to relax and not I don't know not stress too much about the makeup for just a moment because obviously there's nothing I can do when a take is going anyway (laughs) I don't know that it's I I kind of really treasure those moments because for me when I'm on set I just feel like that's that's my equivalent of like a fangirl thing because it's just Mm -hmm. it's just remarkable yeah Yeah, no it's cinema um 
working with actors when the prosthetics are applied um what are the reactions usually like i mean it depends really on on, on the level of it probably but has there been any standouts where like an actor is just mind blown over whatever it is they've got on <laughs> yeah i mean to be honest it, it kind of happens every time really and it depends i suppose because some actors have literally never had prosthetics before and this is the first time that we're doing it for them and usually that is for them it's super exciting usually you know because they're just they have no idea what to expect and then when it's finally done they are just yeah they are just blown away by it like I did effects for a stuntman on uh, a show called The Curse, which I think just started uh, on Channel 4. It's a comedy with Tom Davis and uh, the guys from People Just Do Nothing. And yeah, we had this stunt guy who uh, gets attacked. No spoilers, so I won't, I won't say anymore. But he was so, I did the application three days and he was so excited by it. And every time when I, once we glue the piece down, then you need to kind of put on the color just to kind of blend it into their skin. And he would always say like, oh my God, this is my favorite bit. This is amazing. You know, just as I was doing, he was like, I can't, I don't understand how you do it. I don't understand. How do you, like, I can't tell, I can't tell. How do you match it? You know, he was so thrilled by it. And um, that's a really, that was really sweet. You know, it's really nice when people enjoy your work as much as you do, you know? and kind of can see the magic that's happening in front of them it's it's lovely when when they have that reaction and it's not just the actors you know same with like the crew usually every production doesn't necessarily have prosthetics right I kind of feel like we are we we're, we're sort of like the guest stars occasionally who pop in whether it's for like an episode or you know yeah for like a little bit of a film shoot it's a bit odd actually because most crews build up that lovely rapport and relationship because they've been together from day one for several weeks or months and then maybe in like three days of week four we turn up and everyone's like who are these guys but what's so lovely is that usually when we you know we do what we do yeah I mean there's 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 no shortage of crew members coming up to you and saying did you oh my god did you do the monster or did you do the operation or whatever it is and give you give you a sort of a good pat on the back it's really it's really nice it's really um mm-hmm. rewarding yeah. Now let's circle back a bit to this collaboration between Shell Effects Makeup and VFX. I know there was a bit of that with your work on Doctor Who in season 12, those flying fingers. Can you tell me a bit more about that process, the design process, and then how you collaborated with VFX to kind of create the final image? Yeah, so that's yeah, it's a good example that one because the well the design the design was out of my hands. That was in the hands of uh, Ray Holman, who is actually the costume and creature designer. The design changed a lot. It started off actually something that looked much more sort of cyborgy, uh, and then it developed into being the sort of the realistic fingers that then transformed into uh, these sort of vials collected the nightmares. Um, so yeah, it was it was very back and forth. Ray was kind of liaising basically between myself and uh, the VFX team. And I feel like from what I remember, it took a while for a lot of the decisions to be finalized about using practical effects at all. I think a lot of it was intended to be like almost entirely digital because to be fair, I'm sure they could have, they absolutely could have done it entirely digitally if they'd wanted to. But when we finally kind of made what we made, so we basically made a, a like a sort of silicon glove, if you like, that went on top of the actor's hand without the fingers. So he'd basically hold up his fist and then our prosthetic on top made it, you know, have that appearance of, of him just having sort of the stubs of like little fingers left. And then we also created basically flesh fingers, see-through fingers and then see-through fingers filled with black kind of nightmares so that we had everything practically that could be filmed on 
And when we brought all of this stuff onto set, it was definitely one of those of like, okay, when do we need to use it? Figuring out on the day with a director, with VFX. And VFX actually, I remember uh, one of the guys that one of the supervisors commenting and saying, he was like, you know, I really didn't think that we would need this for real in camera, but he was like, oh my God, am I glad we do. And he's like, I can really see like the value of it. I'm so pleased we went down this route. And it was so nice to hear him say that because, you know, I, I feel like there's this sort of rumor or this idea that VFX and practical effects are like at war with each other. Like, oh my God, you're going to replace us, blah, blah, blah. And maybe that was the case, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15, who knows? But like, it's just not true. Like it's, it's the, the collaboration between the two is so effective. And I think what they did with what we made looks so successful on screen. I loved it. You know, I mean, literally in terms of like the actual floating fingers, I mean, it's actually quite funny watching, watching it on set. But they basically just picked up the fingers and just, you know, they just held them and kind of floated them through, recorded that as a reference just to get the movement of how they wanted it to land and all the rest of it. And then they just took umpteen, I mean, God knows how many reference photographs of what we'd made for them to go away and, and you know, create 3D models of. And yeah, I thought the end, the end result was absolutely stunning. Yeah, it was really effective, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just... Uh, really incredible and I, and I really appreciate you saying that about practical and digital effects because I feel like that is something people still talk about as if it's either or but yeah which is so silly like you know why why does it have to be either or you know I think I think more productions are probably kind of coming to understand that and I feel like I don't know maybe more practical effects people are understanding about digital better and maybe VFX are understanding a bit better about what we do but it's but for me, that's always the best if you can have both. And I think because there's, I guess, because there's more higher budget stuff that's being made, particularly in TV, you know, even films or TV productions that wouldn't usually have a VFX budget, it's almost like they all do just have them now as a more standard thing. It's not just the big sci-fi blockbusters. So actually, when you sort of mention the word VFX or post, like, is that something we could collaborate with? producers and directors are much, much more sort of keen and open to that because usually there is somebody there. Whenever I mention it now as a sort of possibility of like, you know, this could be enhanced by some assistance from post. It, it's met with like, oh yeah, absolutely, definitely. Well, we've got somebody, let's bring them in on this conversation, you know? And I like to think that, you know, the other way around that could that could be said, you know, as, as we understand each other's departments more because it just saves it saves each other like a lot of time, a lot of money probably. And, you know, a lot of directors obviously really, really benefit from having something and actors as well, I'm sure. They really benefit from having something, something there to actually film on, you know? So if we can do something that takes it at least halfway, that I think is really valuable. Or even if it's just making a model specifically for VFX, that's actually really common in our industry. I mean, I haven't personally done any um, at my company, but I know, like, I don't know, I don't know why this is the example that pops into my head, but like the film like Detective Pikachu, for example, you know, that's like a digital left, right and centre movie. But a lot of those characters were made practically for the sake of digital uh, modelling, basically, and scanning. And it, yeah, it's, it's something that I guess that you don't necessarily know about unless unless you're kind of in our industry. But our field, it's it's full of it's, it's very normal to make a VFX model. That's really interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, I mean, it's it's so clear that you can create so many amazing things when you do collaborate. Like, I'm just thinking back to, especially, customized like uh, the Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, where they had all of those real puppets, but then they had VFX on like the eyes and, and some of the facial movements. And, and that was just, it was stunning. Yeah, like Shape of Water is a really good example mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the suits and the prosthetics and the animatronics that went into that outfit on Doug Jones, you know, the legend that is, you know, that was all amazing, but they still they still got assistance from VFX for, yeah, I think some of the expressions and some of the eye stuff and you, you'd never tell. Like you don't look at that and go like, oh, well that's obviously a digital thing and blah, blah, blah. But it just, it really, really helps, really brings it to life. It just takes it that extra step of the way. They didn't have to do that. I'm sure they could have done something fantastically just prosthetics and practical alone. But like, if you, if you can, if you can just tweak it and make it even, even more believable then why wouldn't you and the tech is just getting so much better and better and better I don't know I I I welcome the fact that we can collaborate and create things that on screen to the audience just yeah it just looks incredibly real you know because it it feels like it's right there but without the limitations that sometimes practical effects can have Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah no no definitely um now I want to talk a bit more about that medical stuff that you mentioned earlier specifically with the autopsy uh, design for typewriter which is a horror show on Netflix um you went all out on this one where did you start with this (laughs) yeah so I was approached by the makeup designer yeah she'd been pointed in my direction by by somebody else about doing this autopsy piece. And we'd actually done something very similar for Holby City, because I'd, I'd been working there fairly recently, I think at the time. I was sort of like, yeah, sure. I mean, I've done that before, not too complicated. Because sometimes for autopsies, you will go the whole hog and build like a full silicon body. Particularly if you really need that depth, if it was actually something to be interacted with, i.e. taking, I don't know, taking an organ out, for example. For this, it wasn't. So it was, and, and they really wanted to use like the actual actor. So we were talking about basically doing like a big silicon flat piece that covers their entire torso that would then be glued on top of the actor for that scene. I mean, although already you're into kind of logistical nightmares just because that poor actor, <laughs> they haven't really got a choice about it. They basically have to spend quite a long time, you know, horizontal on mm-hmm. that on that table. No loo breaks. You know, oh God. Like that. So, I mean, that that's already something that has to be flagged. I'm like, right, you know, you need to shoot this fairly quickly. Um, you know, you can't have this poor person just lying there for hours and hours and hours. But yeah, it's kind of where we started. But because it was based in India, that obviously is a challenge because that means we have to not only shoot out there, but because every prosthetic basically starts off with a life cast because it has to be custom made to fit perfectly, meant that uh, we had to um, get on a flight out to Mumbai and do the life cast of the actor because I think because of visa kind of regulations, it was going to take several weeks to get the actor approved to come to the UK. So it was technically because of the timeline that we had yeah it was easier for us to go out there so that was already a bit of a challenge to start with was going out there taking a cast of basically the actor's full torso and the actor that we did it on originally uh lovely man but his physique he was um he was like quite wide um very broad-shouldered yeah like he, he was a bit of a unit of a guy to be honest and um so actually the actual the actual cast itself was was not not small by any means to transport Mm. back but we had we came into a bit of a sticking point with that job actually because as we were making it the director actually decided to recast his actor I'm not really sure why and we were like I was given frantic phone calls of oh my god oh my god what we're gonna do (laughs) are we gonna be able to use this prosthetic especially because 
for a makeup designer and a prosthetics designer, they obviously have a certain budget and prosthetics are never, never cheap. You know, there's a lot of work involved and it's terrifying to know that they've potentially blown half their budget on something that can't get used. So I was like, no, look, it'll be fine. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll be able to use it. Just, just please make sure they cast somebody who's, who's a similar build um, to the actor. And they were like, okay, noted, the director knows. And I get on the plane. <laughs> and when I touch down in, uh, in Goa, the first thing I'm told is, I think we might have a problem. And, you know, I get, I get uh, led through onto set to the to the director and he tells us that he's cast he's, he has recast the character but it's somebody completely different similar skin tone thank goodness but he was incredibly thin very lean <laughs> so we were like right okay so now oh, we God. have this this piece is effectively two sizes too big to have to make work yeah that was that was a quite a fun job really because we had to problem solve it on the day and it took a lot of work kind of cutting it and almost darting it almost like you would clothes you know but we managed to get it to fit and it almost wrapped around him because this guy was so much smaller but hey ho we, man mm -hmm. <laughs> we managed to make it work yeah 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 quick thinking that's uh, a challenge for sure for sure um about the actual cast then like what what are the materials that's made to like make these organs so it's it's all silicon again actually it's just do it mm -hmm. using it in different ways so basically that piece actually is so it's made up of of two separate pieces so we sculpted a uh, an organ plate basically which is what we will we'll describe if we're like if it's a it's a flat piece that's just showing the surface of the organs beautifully sculpted by uh jen Cooley. the way we make it actually is like we we use silicon encapsulated in cat plastic which is it's like a thin plastic that is coats basically coats all prosthetics and it gives us a really lovely thin edge that we can blend into the skin seamlessly but basically into that actually making the organs is actually quite fun we, we refer to it as back painting but it's sort of you basically have different silicons that you mix up in different colors and stipple in maybe with a brush or a sponge and basically kind of color it in backwards if that makes any sense the mold is because the mold is a negative of what you're what you're making so it means that when we finally get the piece out you don't really have to paint it actually it looks already basically like the finished product so because the lungs are going to look slightly different the liver for example and the intestines like all of them have different colors so that was that was one piece basically that we would glue then onto our actor's chest then we have the skin right so the skin was a separate piece which was basically just the full torso and um from that it's actually kind of because you could sculpt you could if you wanted to sculpt the incision basically sort of that classic kind of y incision that you get with autopsies but we decided actually because this is what we did on holby and it worked really really well was to literally get a scalpel like a doctor would and basically carve that incision into our skin not on the actor i must hasten to that before we apply it to anyone we create that and then we can fabricate a lot of the details like the fats and the muscle layers like all of that was done separately onto the skin again using silicon but there's so many there's so many things you can do with silicon you can put in additives that make it thicker so you can almost sculpt with it kind of like if you were doing I don't know if you bake but like a kind of butter icing the way that you can pipe icing and it holds its shape you can do similar things with silicon you can like pipe fat in a like via a syringe and create these little globules of fat 
basically. And you can, you can kind of sculpt with it as you go, mix it with different colors. There's a really fab technique that we do at Holby all the time that is like, you put this thick, thick so in it, which like I say, thickens it. And if you put that on a table and stretch some cling film over the top of it, you pull it at both ends, you get that lovely ridged kind of texture, let it set and you peel that cling film away and you've got basically muscle. You've got what looks like muscle because it's got that fibrous sort of look to it. So I was kind of, you know, using all of those techniques that I'd learned from, you know, a few years at Holby City to add to that skin, finishing off, obviously, with painting it. And I got some fantastic hair punches in to do the hair punching work on, on the chest, just individually inserting one hair at a time. Beautifully done. Takes ages, as you might expect. Yeah, again, Jen Keeley did that along with Beth and Hollington, both really, really fantastic. So then once we have that piece, that piece is then glued on top of the organ plate and that's giving it that, that depth basically. So that when the medical instruments are used to kind of pull the skin open, because they weren't sure, the director wanted the option of having the skin closed and open. You know, it's almost, I guess, maybe as a sort of reveal moment, that sort of thing. So that was another reason to do it that way. If we had sculpted it open, there would be no optionality to, to be able to manipulate the skin in that way. But yeah, so it's like once you glue that second piece on top of and you're blending that into your actor, then all that's left is, is all the dressing. So that's gonna be blood. We often use olive oil. Also actually an important element to use is like fairy liquids or something similar. Just you rub that in first and it stops the blood from sort of beading up too much on the silicon surface. It's quite a good tip. Or sometimes mixing a bit of fairy liquid into the blood you're using, that kind of works sometimes. But all of that is just, that's what really sells it because it, it gives it that glossy finish and makes it look really like, like it's living, you know? And the blood often like falls into the, sort of the cracks and the crevices of what you've sculpted, just adding that depth. So yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a few steps really, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, I mean, that's amazing. That is one, again, like, it's godlike. Like it, it, it's, <laughs> and also I've got like the BTS pictures for for that um, organ play, and it looks beautiful as well. Like it almost looks like an yeah. art installation in some yeah. way. Like it's, uh huh. It, it's just fascinating how much how much depth goes into it. And um, obviously, I'm sure also a lot of a lot of research into where where the organs are and, and the right colors and stuff like that. But you're probably used to. Uh, quite used to the inner organs yes, by now. Yeah, my, my anatomy is uh, it's definitely it's definitely improved over the years. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, <laughs> um, you know, I I kind of like where possible. Like it, it's, I mean, I even commented yesterday that I was that I know where a thymus is. You know, <laughs> and it's like how many people who don't work in medicine could really be like, oh yes, the thymus. You know, it's yeah, it's funny really. But I'm very lucky actually because I've got a I've got a secret weapon in the fact that my dad is actually a neurosurgeon. So I have on on I mean retired right. now, um, but I do have on the end of the phone a medical advisor should I ever need one, which is a real real it's very very helpful genuinely because there have been times where it's not even just about like oh where would this bit be because that's something I could just look up in the book but in terms of like how much how much would it bleed from this part of the body because that's a really specific detail you know like certain parts yes certain parts of the body they genuinely are going to spurt you know if you hit the a particular artery it's going to spurt like crazy or other places if it's venous blood it's more of an ooze and it's, it's much thicker, darker, and a slower kind of effect. And actually, those, those are the kinds of things that, yeah, it, like you say, it's our, it's our job to research and think about. And it's our job to kind of inform a director of, of be like, 
can I check with you? Like, what kind of bleeds are you after? Are you expecting? Because this is this is factually accurate. But obviously, depending on the scene, it may not be appropriate, right? Because there is something that a bit comical about like a very intense kind of spurt of blood, right? Depending obviously on how it's filmed. I mean, it can be very dramatic as well. But I think it's it's important to kind of ask the question because sometimes stylistically doing something perfectly accurately isn't actually what's asked for. So it's kind of interesting what you said before about, you know, our knowledge of medicine, a lot of it in surgery comes from the movies. And actually sometimes we are not doing stuff accurately, like deliberately, you know, it's like we're, we're trying to do it accurately, but actually narratively it's not it's not appropriate so it's a really it's a really fascinating uh what's the word like a balance between you know we'll go to town on our research and we'll bring that research to the director and explain kind of okay this is what it will be like now how does that fit in with your vision how does that fit in with the scene does it match your story beats you know and that's quite yeah it's quite a it's quite an interesting one actually and then even on set because usually when you do medical stuff most productions will go to the trouble of making sure there is a medical advisor to make sure that not just that we're doing the right thing, but that the actors know what they're doing, that they're holding instruments correctly, things like that. And it is so beneficial because, I mean, well, partly because, you know, for us, it's it's really lovely when we take something on set and the medical advisor is like, oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how that would look if you just maybe move that a bit to the left. Perfect. You know, whatever it is really really sells the effect but it's very very helpful to I don't know have that guidance to make sure that it's it's reflecting the accuracy and the factual nature of what we're doing without without kind of interfering too much with like what we need to see in the scene so no it's 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 a it's a fun challenge it, I really really love doing medical stuff I think it's so much fun <laughs> I mean I think it's just so so impressive uh, for all the reasons that were already stated now you already said that Hobby City is kind of one of your favorite productions what is it that made it so is it that um common common passion for for the details and and uh it's it's a a lot of things so yeah I mean I'm sure you're aware that unfortunately you know Holby is Holby is finishing you know I think the last episode is going to be in March so they've they've now finished production they finished filming entirely which is on it's a genuinely crushing for all of us who who worked on it because and it's it's a funny one really because Holby you know Holby is it's it's like a family favorite but it's not it's not some it's not Game of Thrones it doesn't have that sort of like big huge budget and whatever but they've always been really dedicated to getting that accuracy in, in, in all the medicine. So yeah, like you say, I mean, it is very much the dedication to that accuracy. I mean, when, you, when you're there every fortnight, we had what were called medical meetings, which were literally just, we talk about the medicine. Obviously a huge part of the show is the characters and their storylines and their lives and so on. But obviously the medicine is so important. And that would be a meeting with the director, the first, you know, all the HODs, and we'd have at least two or three actual real life doctors advising and explaining exactly what each ailment would present in terms of how, what the actor needs to do, what we need to make to make sure it's believable and so on, so on, so on, what kind of medical paraphernalia the art department needs to get hold of, all of that stuff. A lot of people kind of <laughs> maybe didn't get as excited by them as me, but I loved just talking about the nitty gritty details of like okay so it's a tumor okay so what what color is it what shape is it does it have any iridescent quality to it without grossing you out too much for example like a lot of tumors 
are actually, whether they're malignant or benign, a lot of them are all, all they really are, are skin cells or teeth cells or hair cells. They often, skin cells, when they're just in their abstract form, and maybe I'm the only person who would ever say this, but they're genuinely beautiful. Like they look kind of like mother of pearl almost. They, they look really pale and they've got this iridescent sheen to them. And yeah, they don't know that it's what makes them look gross is when it's got blood all over it. And obviously it's gross because it's usually doing something awful to somebody, but in their abstract form, they're actually really pretty. <laughs> Um, but maybe that's again maybe that's something that only I would ever think the other thing about Holby was that honestly the people that I worked with there I mean they're some of my closest friends in the industry if not definitely the closest they are so supportive it had a real it's 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 almost a bit of a relic in a way because I guess because it's part of the BBC it had because I had an in-house prosthetics department most productions obviously don't have in-house anything because they, they don't work like that but because it was it had its base in Elstree Studios and it had been going for such a long time. You really felt like you're part of a family there. It didn't feel like temporary in the way that a lot of productions are, you know, like, cause it's always there and it's always being made. So there's a, a lot of history to it. Like a lot of the molds that we'd use for a heart was sculpted by somebody 10 years ago and we're still using the same mold because why would you, you don't need to sculpt another one, you know, like it's there. Yeah, the, the vibe there was very supportive, very encouraging. I, I, I was able to hone a lot of my um, skills there. And I think a lot of people, that's true. Plus, you get the rare opportunity to often take something from start to finish as a build and then also take it on set with you, which doesn't usually happen in the industry. Like people are often departmentalized. So you may have people who just sculpt or just make molds or just do silicon work or just do hair work, and some people who just do on set work. It's, uh, it's, it's unusual to be able to take something from start to finish in that way. And like we were saying about, you know, when you see something that you've made on screen, to get the pleasure of something that you've built from scratch and then taking it on set, because it would often be operations that have like rigs in them, whether it's a blood rig or a breather, as we would call them, or a beater. So if we have the chest needs that rise and fall, so we'd make lungs that can inflate and we'd make hearts that can beat and it's it's just it's all based on so much knowledge that's been developed over so many years by the people who've worked there like the people who've worked there before me like Megan Thomas who was the most recent prosthetics designer I mean she basically worked there for about oh I don't know I'm not actually sure like possibly up to 10 years like a long time from when she sort of first started kind of thing uh, a long time, Lucy Sibick used to work there and Lucy Sibick won an Oscar for Darkest Hour. She was involved with the makeup and Gary Oldman. Vicky Money, another fantastic artist. She, you know, like she's recently did the um, Rocketman makeup and Taryn Edgerton. So you, we're talking like really incredible artists who've worked there. You know, one of a good friend of mine, Liz Barlow, she's recently been running prosthetics for some of the more recent Star Wars TV shows. So like the talent there, I mean, I could go on. I want to list, I feel bad. I'm not listing everybody, you know, Alex Harper, Tom Power, like, I mean, just astonishing people that I, I was so lucky to work with and learn from. And that's, that's why it has, it's such a, it's got a real special place in my heart, that production, because I felt like I really blossomed there and I think that's true for a lot of us who work there and it's 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 a real shame that it's it's not going to be with us anymore yeah I mean it sounds like an, an incredible experience I'd love to talk a bit about red girl girl let's talk about your baby your special effects makeup company that you founded what was it that pushed you to do this 
I think I think I always knew that I wanted to run my own place at some point you know I think like I really enjoy leading a team I love working as part of a team but I do I do get a real kick out of having that kind of creative control and taking on that responsibility it, it appeals to me you know I think maybe because you know like I said I used to direct plays and whatever I've, I've kind of always relished that sort of um role I don't know I I kind of in my mind I sort of thought maybe when I've been in the industry for 10 years I'll think about starting a company and it kind of happened organically without me meaning to much sooner than that and basically because I, I always wanted to um, have my own studio space to do my own work as well as the work I was doing freelancing for other people. Just for me, not necessarily for productions, just for my own satisfaction, really. Particularly because, as I said before, it's very typical to be, get departmentalised. And I always loved every department. I always wanted to do everything, sculpting, moulding, painting, hair work, onset work, all of it. Because I, I, I don't know if I just, I get bored or something, but I just, I love, I love every little bit of it. There's no one bit that I like most. So I always wanted to have a space that I could always practice those skills. And gradually, you know, somebody might be like, oh, we're doing this music video. Do you fancy like helping us out with this effect? And be like, okay, you know, give me like a couple hundred quid for materials. Let's do it. And it was never something that serious, but as you get more experienced and the reputation builds, I started getting approached more about independent projects. And so I was doing this basically in my free time, weekends, you know, whilst working freelancing for other people. Back when I used to work for Connor, he was very good actually at letting me, you know, have the odd day off here and there to do a shoot and things like that. Very supportive, would let me use his workshop sometimes if I needed to. And um, yeah, um, I mean, to be honest, because. I think typewriter was one of the first sort of TV series jobs that I had got independently. And it was kind of at that point where I needed to actually hire other people because it was too much for me to do anything myself. So it was around that time that I thought, hmm, maybe this company thing is actually starting to happen now. And I should really start thinking about it properly. And, you know, there was there was definitely it sounds a little cheesy, but in a sort of way of like be the change that you want to see in the world that prosthetics is such a small niche industry that most of the workshops at that time were run by men and and because the industry is actually very it's very even in terms of men and women in it loads of women work in it but there weren't really any places that were run by women and I thought like well you know why not you know and I kind of I kind of thought well I I would like to do that and just because there aren't many people I'm seeing do, do it doesn't mean I can't. So that was a, a big kind of inspiration to maybe push a bit harder and a bit faster with it than I'd maybe intended. You know, I kind of thought like, ah, screw it. Why not? You know, let's give it a go. And I'd done enough projects by then on my own that I felt confident that I could actually do that. And it was around a similar time when I first ran the department at Holby City, actually. And I was given that responsibility to, to be HOD for the first time there. And that was in 2018. So kind of around 2017, 2018 was when Red Girl really came into its own. And yeah, I just kind of ran with it. And it, it definitely, yeah, happened way, way faster than I ever anticipated. But actually the whole concept behind Red Girl basically is, you know, I, I see it as somewhere where we do really high quality bespoke work. I'm not looking to be some huge effects warehouse where we're taking on you know hundreds of trolls and whatever I just don't really see that in my future to be honest with you I see myself being much more kind of yeah the smaller bespoke uh kind of stuff 
But actually, when I started to talk to makeup designers, they were thrilled by the idea of Red Girl and the idea of having a woman-led prosthetics company because it was just sort of a, a refreshing difference, basically. They were like, oh my God, that's so cool. Almost like, didn't know women did that kind of reaction, which is crazy because why not? You know, like I say, there's, the industry is full of, of incredible women technicians, but I guess it just wasn't as on the map maybe before. The thing is now, now there's actually quite a few companies run by women, which is really cool to see. Um, you know, there's, there's Square Peg that's in Wales, Maximal Effects that's in London as well. Like there's a, there's a few around. Lucy Sibick, who I mentioned before, she actually runs, um, when she runs her own makeup jobs, she, she designs and makes like all the prosthetics herself. So it's, and, and with her team, obviously. So it's definitely um, it's definitely changed over the last you know kind of four or five years since I first started. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I think that's just incredibly impressive, and exactly as I said, you know, it'd be the change you want to see, and and step into that, and give other give other people, other women, those opportunities as well. I think it's just very incredible. In in your workshop, what's the energy like? <laughs> it's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's what, it's what I'm bound to say, isn't it? Uh, no, we have so much fun. Like I like. I, I like to run like quite a relaxed atmosphere. You know, we've always got the music on, a lot of banter, a lot of laughs. Like, like why not? You should be having fun. You know, I've always, that's always been my mantra. When it stops having fun, stop. You know, we're so lucky to do what we do as a job. It's one of the most fun things you could ever get, you know, ever get paid to do. So no, I like, I like to keep it really fun and relaxed. And also kind of like uh, the, ben- the, the sort of benefit that I experienced from working at somewhere like Colby I want to bring that into my place I really really love being able to give everybody the opportunity to work in different areas you know I it's another reason why I want to keep things fairly small and bespoke because I think I think you have to departmentalize when things get really really big just for scale it makes perfect sense but where possible I really love the idea of being able to give an individual a makeup or an effect or a rig to build and be like right you sculpt it, you mould it, you cast it, you whatever. Ideally, you take it on set, you know? Obviously, it depends. It doesn't always work out that way. It depends on the size of the job and so on. But um, that's something I really want to carry through into my place because it just makes it makes for really satisfied artists. It brings challenges and it, it innovates new ideas, I think, you know? If you have somebody who typically works in another department suddenly involved in this different department then they're actually bringing a whole load of knowledge that maybe um, an insight that maybe you wouldn't have had otherwise, you know, like they yeah. all kind of complement each other so well. And I think it builds a really strong team. So yeah, no, it's, it's really good fun. I feel like we're still really early stage. There's so many kind of like, ah, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. I mean, we're literally in the process at the moment of kind of stripping the workshop down and kind of rebuilding because I moved into a new place last year in the middle of loads of jobs. So it was the worst time to move. <laughs> by by a stretch yeah it's uh it's really exciting actually I'm kind of you know I kind of want to create a workshop that's almost like half workshop half lab maybe bring that kind of medical um medical vibe into it or something yeah no it's really it's, it's a really exciting time for the company actually got an exciting year ahead I think yeah amazing I mean I'm just so much looking forward to seeing everything that you're going to do and and even though I know now how the sausage is made I mean everything that you do is so organic to to the movies to the shows that it's still like blows my mind and and I don't think my little brain can quite comprehend that this 
isn't quite real. Um, <laughs> also, like, it just just because, you know, uh, talking about the future, talking about things like that, and I know you can't talk about it much because it isn't out yet, but can you confirm that Morbius is a real movie? Because at this point, I'm a little bit suspicious. <laughs> that's a really good point. It's been a while, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that was actually the last film that I worked on for Connor. Um, and... Um, yeah, we did that, gosh, when did we do that? I think that was in 2019 that I worked on that. Um, and I swear they were planning on <laughs> releasing it last year. Um, yeah. I think they keep teasing with, with trailers and so on. I honestly don't know. But yeah, I think it's a bit of a Bermuda Triangle kind of um, <laughs> mystery that they keep teasing with like, hey, Morbius coming soon. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> soon has been been for too long yeah you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we can confirm it is a real movie so. it is a real movie it is I a, real movie. It. a lot of blood sweat and tears went into that movie so if, if it's not a real movie then i think i need to get <laughs> seen by a doctor <laughs> it's very much a real movie great thank you for the confirmation finally do you have any advice for those who are listening and who might be interested in diving into this world of yours oh well Gosh, I would say that I don't think there's any one way to get into it. You know, I think a lot of people who run workshops are very open to anybody joining them. It's it's all down to your portfolio. I mean, obviously, there are some fantastic courses out there. There are there are like I mean, I did like a BA, you know, I did a three year course, but there are plenty of short courses that do like just as good stuff. To be honest, there is so much amazing content online for free that I think if you if you saved up your money, for, to be able to maybe not work for a bit, buying some materials and just practice in your garden or whatever, you'd probably come out just as experienced potentially. There's there's lots of different ways of going about it for starters. I just really think that it's it's I guess, I guess like a lot of creative jobs, you really, really need it really needs to be something you absolutely love. You can't half-ass it. It's incredibly competitive. The hours are punishing. I mean, if you're working on um, if you're doing prosthetics on a film, it's pretty normal for you to be doing like 14 to 18 hour days just be, just by the nature of the beast. You know, if you're if most prosthetic makeups don't go on in less than two to three hours. So if you think about that at the start of a shoot day, you've been filming for 10 to 12 hours and that again at the end of the day, then you do it all again the next day. It's it's not it's not for the faint hearted in that sense. So people really need to think of their <laughs> if they're kind of up for that. Um, but also even from a workshop perspective where you, maybe your hours aren't as long, it's a, it's going to be about like a nice hybrid between that creativity and that design spark along with a technician's eye. And I think you need to have a good appreciation of the materials we use. And again, that's not something you're going to just pick up, like just, just kind of off, off your own, off your own brain, or, you know, I'd be very wary of, of a lot of stuff on, on Instagram and things like that. Like people need to go a little bit deeper, but there's fantastic resources out there. I would always recommend people check out Stuart Bray. He's absolutely brilliant uh, British prosthetics artist who's got tons of resources for free on YouTube. He's got a fantastic podcast actually called Battles with Bits of Rubber with Todd Debrasini. There's some great books out there. So there's definitely some fantastic resources that people can go to if they're starting out and they want to build up their portfolio. And uh, also fantastic events that people can go to. IMAX is one, which is a, a 
makeup artist trade show that happens every year the prosthetics event as well happens annually so um they're really good places to go if you're kind of curious and you want to maybe see if it's the right right thing for you amazing thank you thank you so much for that and uh and and finally i mean this is always the most difficult question and i feel like you've already mentioned quite a lot of very inspiring women uh but is there a woman in the industry who's inspiring you right now that you want to give a shout out to um Actually, yes, yes, there is very, very fresh in my mind is um, Alice Seabright, who is actually a, a good friend of mine, but she, uh, her series Chloe is, has uh, just come out on the BBC and it's her first show as, as with her as showrunner. And Alice and I go uh, quite far back. Like we both went to the same university. We both went to UCL. This is before, this is back when I still kind of thought I wanted to be an actor slash director, didn't really know kind of thing. And so we've known each other for like, a very long time and she's she, I've, I've watched her kind of blossom from you know doing her short films through to now and I'm, I'm just in awe of, of how of how well she's doing and I'm, I'm so proud to be able to call her a friend of mine and I think off off in a similar vein I also really want to give a shout out to Michaela Cole because I think what she's doing is just absolutely phenomenal and I'm so glad that her voice is one that we're hearing She's not a friend of mine, but I do have a semi-connection in that one of one of my very best friends is um, she went to drama school with her. So I actually had the pleasure of seeing Michaela like perform back in her sort of drama school showcases. And it was obvious then that she was such a talent as an actor. But to see what she's what she's doing, what she's writing. Um, yeah, it just it makes me feel happier about the world. You know what I mean? Knowing that people like her and people like Alice and really strong young female voices that are, yeah, just just absolutely knocking it out of the park it makes me super proud even though mm-hmm. I've got no right to be proud of them but do you know what I mean I kind of no want... no I completely I completely agree and I mean I, I'm I'm gonna start I was actually planning to start Chloe like this week and it's, it looks so phenomenal and I mean Michaela has just been inspiring from day one um yeah uh, and finally uh, is there anything you want to plug and promote where can people find you and, and check out what you do Sure. Yeah. Well, um, as everyone, I've got an Instagram. Um, so it's at redgirlfx, the letters FX. And I've been a little bit bad with Instagram over the past year, just because I've been so busy, but I, I promise I'm going to be better this year and post more work. And obviously we've got a website, redgirlfx.com. I have my website, suzybattersby.com as well, with, which has a more fuller portfolio when I've worked uh, independently as well. But yeah, no, I think like, I mean, yeah, watch The Curse. The Curse is out on Channel 4 with some prosthetics that we've done, which is cool. And yeah, I'm not sure about anything else that we've done that's going to be coming out this year, or at least if they are, I don't know yet. Um, uh, but I do know that... Um, Morbius, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but who knows? Possibly Morbius, yeah. Also, a bit of a, a, bit of a, a shout out, really, really chuffed that um, a short film that we worked on in 2020 called Stuff, um, that's been just been announced. It's been nominated for a BAFTA. It's really, really cool. And really? Um, that is available online to watch. I'm pretty sure it's on Vimeo. So if you look up Stuff, which is a short film, short film about uh, taxidermy, uh, it's a it's a horror musical and honestly it's so worth a watch I'm, I mean I'm biased because I worked in it but it's genuinely fantastic I'm, I'm not surprised it got nominated it's really great that's brilliant I'm gonna try and find that link and then uh, put that below for anyone yeah, that's interested yeah. yeah okay well thank you so much for coming on Susie I feel so enlightened and it's just fascinating and I could have probably kept talking for hours but <laughs> yeah, <me too>. um <laughs> thank you for sharing everything and and, and yeah <laughs>
keep making rubber monsters <laughs> exactly keep making rubber monsters keep making intestines uh yeah you got it <laughs> <laughs> will do <laughs>